It's a peaceful protest. We walking, raising awareness. Some of the injustice that we've been seeing is not okay. And as a young person, you gotta you gotta listen to our perspective. Our voices need to be heard. People are gonna look back. Our kids are gonna look back at this and say, "You were a part of that." I got a grandfather that marched next to Dr. King in the '60s, and he was amazing. He would be proud to see us all here. We gotta keep pushing forward. Sports are like the reward of a functional society. Sirius XM Sports presents Forward Progress, a weekly open conversation on race and sports in America. Here are your hosts, Jason Jackson and Kirk Morrison. Good to have you with us at Cavalcade of Forward Progress deliciousness in store for you. Uh, in moments, we will talk about uh, how Dawn Staley's impacting what went down with Duke and BYU. We'll get to that in a little bit. Uh, but we will also turn your attention toward everything that's going on uh, in the U.S. Open, the so long of Serena and who might be filling that space in American tennis. And I also want to get into the weekend that was, Kirk, interested <laughs> uh, with all things Orange Blossom Classic in South Florida during Labor Day weekend. Yeah. We'll wrap up the program with that. But let's go back to what I mentioned first. And I, I want to have a first, before we even get into what Coach Staley is uh, doing to send a message uh, to what's happening uh, with the BYU situation in accordance with Duke Volleyball. An alarming tone and trend picked up, Kirk, that I'm not sure uh, we addressed last week. And right. it's this kind of, I don't know if it's coming from the, I don't know where it's coming from, but it has a consistent kind of alt-right um, pushback that's going on as though, uh, and I don't know if you've even heard this vibe, let me know if you have, uh, as though this is a situation that's being made more of than it actually was, and yeah. uh, that there is a pageantry or theater around uh, the abuse that was experienced uh, in uh, that volleyball match uh, last week. And I, I'm, I'm wondering where we have arrived. And, and it's our job to be at the center of the confluence of race and sports on this program. So I want to challenge that thinking. Where have we arrived, Kirk, when we want to um, discredit a young person's experience that was not probably simply jarring, but terrifying? and inappropriate, uncalled for, and then an attempt by the university, BYU, the, the location where this all went down, to try to make things right or better, and then having a grander conversation for Duke, for ACC teams, for teams all over the nation, how they're going to better react to those situations. Please help me understand when we fell off the side of the cliff into the abyss of thoughtlessness at that level. Yeah, I mean it's it's weird. I I I I sort of laughed when I heard this that they're trying to minimalize or minimize I'm sure they should minimize a situation from a young lady who is trying to let you know, hey, this is what happened. This is real. And people are saying, well, it wasn't a big deal until her, I believe her aunt, you know, sent out the message and it got picked up through well, different. It's how we media. found out. Big deal, yes. right? I mean, it's how we found out because. It was yeah. not going to be brought up by the people of BYU. Uh, maybe the people of Duke would have brought it up later, but it came from uh, this, well, you know, her family. Her family is the one that brought the message out. And so for us, then she had to retell the story of what was happening. And I get it. She didn't want to 
I believe, kind of revisit what was going on. You know, she's trying to move on from it, and I get it. But at the same time, though, why minimize her experience? Her experience was that, yeah, I was playing a volleyball match, something I've done my whole entire life. And yet I was being called names every time I served the ball. Every time I served or had the ball in my hands, I was being called something that was not my name. I wasn't being, I wasn't called a blue devil, which is the team that I play for the Duke blue devils or the lady devils. I was being called something out of my norm, out of my, uh, about my race, about who I am as a person. And how do we minimize? And people are saying, it was a bigger, it wasn't as big of a deal. That's a huge deal. And the only reason why I say it was a huge deal was because LeBron James, and I know you know, when a lot of people bring his name up, it's like, oh, LeBron James, but he said it a couple of weeks back. And I remember me and you, we had a little small conversation about it when he talked about the fans in Boston, right? He talked about the Boston fans, whether, and we've heard it before from players who have played at Fenway or other players who have played at the Boston Garden. They said, hey, I won't use the, the, the words that LeBron used, but he says these fans are racist as bleep <laughs> because they have used that kind of language before. They have said certain things and he said, whoa, hey, that's kind of crossing the line there. And you point it out and you move on. It's different when LeBron says it, right? People take notice and they're like, whoa. But now this young woman says this, and everybody says, well, it didn't really happen like that. It wasn't. I mean, if anyone says a word that is derogatory in nature and, and is seemed racist, that's a big deal. That's not a small deal. And so I, I, you mentioned, I don't know where this notion has come from. People are saying that it, it shouldn't have been a big deal. Like, no, this is huge. And that's the reason why we're having this conversation, because if we're not, then how, how do we handle it? Because then people will think that it's okay. It's acceptable to say something of this nature because, oh, I didn't really mean it. I was just trying to get under her skin or I didn't No, it has racial epithets to it that we just, you can't allow that. Rachel Richardson shares this experience with us only after an engagement by BYU. It wasn't like the folks at BYU said, oh no, that's not what happened. Here's what actually we literally have people trying to create a separate narrative of what went down and its appropriateness or not. As you alluded to earlier, we're not talking about standard fan talk trying to rattle uh, right. the opposing team, as and, and that that is par for the course. Uh, sometimes that gets out of hand. I know I was out of control during my college days. In the stands <laughs> on that Usually toward yeah. the officials. I need to mm-hmm. tighten that up. I had my friends holler at me one night and put me in check. Um, but <clears throat> this was <clears throat> two universities plus the right. player, the player's family sharing with us what happened, what went down, and then the pushback on that through the social media, uh, Twitter tough guys, as I like to call them, uh, right. providing some other conversation uh, is, is absolutely off base, unwelcome, uh, tries to take over and and shoot down a real experience that needs to be addressed. Uh, and it there is even more that BOIU is dealing with, uh, regardless of the positive way that they are trying to impact it as a university community. Uh, other universities 
specifically the University of South Carolina and their head coach, Don Staley, deciding to review a home-and-home series with Brigham Young and backing out of uh, the scheduled games that were going to take place uh, this coming season and next season. And when you really get into the the ideas that led to this particular decision, Coach Staley said, quote, as a head coach, my job is to do what's best for my players and staff. The incident at BYU has led me to reevaluate our home and home, and I don't feel that this is the right time for us to engage in the series. Uh, having support, you know, um, from well, the athletic department on this decision as well. I'm sure there's already pushback on this as an overreach or, or, or uh, an off-the-cuff decision. But the primary responsibility, let us not forget, there's a lot of money. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of pressure to win. These are people's children. Like we, we, That has just been burned off the surface in college sports. It has been for some time. Yes, they're young adults. Yes, we're trying to grow them into a critical thinking space, growing a universal mind on top of uh, this participation at the highest level in intercollegiate athletics. But you're you're the steward for someone else's child. And in the seriousness of that responsibility for the Department of Athletics at South Carolina for the women's basketball program led by Don Staley to decide, we don't even want to be associated with that even creating another opportunity in that environment um i'm fine with mm-hmm. people will get fired up about oh this is just optics no human beings children of other people my primary thing is to keep them safe mentally and physically uh i'm not saying or getting on a podium and saying everybody should just back out of playing byu byu from everything that i've seen in the steps since that game trying to better themselves in the scenario. Right. Uh, sometimes there are consequences, though, for actions. No, I agree. And what Don Staley is doing is something that she's like, we need to take a step back because that incident is something that I don't think that basically what her players and the part of the country that they are in uh, would take that too lightly. Probably would it be a different set of circumstances. I'm not saying that the Duke Blue Devil team is uh, kind of immune to it, but what I'm saying is that the, the South Carolina girls team, yeah, I mean, I've watched them play. They're national champions for a reason. They don't take nothing. It's a different mentality that I think that they have. And so before an incident even happens, I like Don Staley saying, let's just review what we have going on because we are a national championship team. We... <laughs> We are defending champions, so we bring an an extra, I guess, uh, I would say celebrity with us, right? We bring a little more focus. We bring a little more attention than maybe the women's basketball, I mean, the Duke volleyball team. So it's one of those situations where, for me, I understand it, I get it, but more importantly, you don't want to see something like this happen again because we don't know what the circumstances may be. And I get it. BYU is trying to clean it up and they should, they, they, they're trying to clean it up, but this still, it, it still has a lot of layers to it because I don't, I don't, I don't believe that this is the only place that this has happened. I know we will say, Hey, BYU, but I've seen in the stands, I, I've seen other fans say this and what happened to the code of conduct? 
the code of conduct amongst fans. Like, hey, man, you, you can't say that. Hey, get this guy out of here. He's saying things that aren't that aren't right, that aren't what about this game is about. I say just one thing as a former player, I would say, hey, man, I love when you cheer for your colors. Right, Jax? <laughs> you cheer for your colors. I'm all with that. But when you take it a step further, that's not okay. That's not, you can't do that. And I think Don Staley is saying, hey, that's the part where we want to review what we're doing because situation could have went totally different if there was a different, different group of people. Let's take our first break. When we come back, we pay homage to one of the true greats, the farewell to Serena Williams and a discussion of who might be filling that void immediately left by <laughs> Serena. That more as forward progress continues. Stay with us. You're listening to Forward Progress on Sirius XM Radio. We roll along here on Forward Progress and uh, a, a moment in time, a farewell, an end of an era as uh, Serena Williams first card dazzled us for a little bit at uh, the U.S. Open and then made her farewell. And it's, listen, this is, spent so much time when you think about it. Yeah. I mean, 23 Grand Slam titles and um, one of the greats of all time. Before we get into a little bit of the controversy that's connected to it with the the one person that has more Grand Slam titles uh, on the women's side, I think it's important to just really take a second and realize that even beyond the great tennis, which we really don't have to get by, um, the confidence for young black women specifically, but for the entire community, elevating the game of tennis uh, on the women's side, holding up, propping up the entire sport for so long, she and Venus, and and maybe the most important part of their legacy, demanding and establishing equality in payments. Like, I think that's the one thing about their story that doesn't get told enough. I mean, obviously, um, the, the, the big personality of their father, Richard, as they were coming onto the scene, um, their different look, obviously, um, with, with the mm-hmm. braids and beads Beads coming in, uh, making things happen um, and, and these black faces in such a white game, but man, they took care of the sport in a way that is unparalleled. The stuff that Billy Jean King had been trying to do for decades, they just stood their ground and made it happen. And, and, and that equality, by the way, lifted the entire sport. One thing to remember for other sports that have both men and women. You know, I think I was reminded even more of the, just the impact that uh, Serena had on, obviously, tennis, but I think just the world in general was because I think in her final match, matches, I would say, uh, the person who was in the crowd that really stood out to me was Tiger Woods. And to see Tiger Woods in the stands being a fan. Now, people can argue who is the best golfer of all time. Some people are going to say Jack. Some people say, oh. for me, it's Tiger Woods. And it was how he transcended a sport that brought not only minorities, blacks, why it, it, he brought everyone together because he played the game, the sport the right way. I think I see the same thing with Serena. Is that it didn't matter if you were black, white, Mexican. It didn't matter when you watched Serena play tennis. You just sat there and you watched in amazement. You watched because you're able 
you were able to grow with her. Like we saw her as a young teen and then we saw her as she continued to get better and better and win almost to a point where you felt like you were related to her in some sort of way. Like she was like our family and you're watching it. You know, Serena playing and it was like, boom, and you, it was much CTV because you knew the amount of work, the amount of time that went into it. You knew about her background. You knew about her sister. You knew about her mm-hmm. father and her family that you really had this close, I think this close feel like you, you, you knew her. I've met her once in my life and it was great meeting Serena. I was just like, wow, like this is Serena Williams. But you really felt like, like I know her because I've watched her played out in front of our eyes in the public eye. And all she did was with grace, with style, she did it. I mean, I can't say anything negative about how she did her work, how she went out and practiced, how she went out and made every young girl believe that, hey, I can be the next Serena Williams. And then even in her closing speech, she says, look, I'm Serena, but I'm no Serena without my sister. I'm no Serena without Venus. Venus helped me. And that, that again, showing you the human element of it, Jack. So I was I was in my feelings the other day, man. I was in my feelings watching that yeah. match. You know, seeing her fight down to the end, knowing she wasn't going to win. She knew it was done, but she still fought. And everybody applauded. And you're saying like, man, I know it's going to be over, but man, just her impact to your point, her impact on not just tennis, but sports in general, in all sports. So I think one of the big things I love seeing when it comes to Serena is people always say, you know, you think about a lot of the, you know, the Nadals and Federer's and, you know, Djokovic. And then people just say Serena, like she just took over women's tennis. Like, for you know, we're taping this right now while the U.S. Open is going on, and mm-hmm. you know, this is the first time that it'll be with the, the tennis will be without in the quarterfinals without the big three on the men's side and Serena. Like her name stands alone. Right. That's how you know she's a megastar. That's how you know she's she's an icon. We will see if there's someone in a moment. We'll present someone at the very <laughs> least who, who may be able to step into that space. So it takes one step first, right? Like we're not trying to right. uh, crush someone with, with the expectations of carrying that full Serena mantle, but, uh, but there, there's a vacuum to fill. We'll talk about that in a second. But first, uh, it is Margaret Court of Australia who has the 24 Grand Slams uh, single titles and she's 80 years old. She hasn't. She doesn't find herself in public life that much, but decided to speak out about um, admiration that's not reciprocated with Serena, saying, quote, Serena, I've admired her as a player, but I don't think she has ever admired me. Now, Serena has noted that, you know, the majority of courts, uh, Grand Slams uh, came prior to the open era. Right. And so that was just a different game right like that was a very very (laughs) tight-knit closed amateur community um and it has been seen as shade no doubt yeah (laughs) but uh (laughs) court has defended her achievements against suggestions um saying that it had its own challenges right travel money right um those situations but um 
and also did a little math said that you know serena did this in seven more years than i played um that's mm-hmm. just i get it there's been a lot of time before now to get into it i'm my only thing in these back and forth with really competitive you know a personality individuals is timing it's this right the time for this no you know it ain't no time for this <laughs> and i get margaret wants to have her name say hey i've done this and done that but to be honest i didn't know who margaret court was until her, her name was on the bottom of the ticker I'm like, who is this? Who, who is this? And maybe that's my own negligence of not knowing that's who you're not being deep into tennis outside. <laughs> yes. Of Serena. Yes. I, I apologize. <laughs> but it also goes to show what Serena meant to tennis and what she still means to tennis. Like she changed the sport, Jax. Like she literally, the way that people dress, the way the women dress. Remember, women were conservative when it came to tennis. And yet here comes Serena with style, with elegance, with grace, you know, her own, just, it was just her own line of clothing, Serena. Come on. Where you can, you can be stylish. Come on now. Come on now. She did things that you couldn't do. And then Serena put on it. You're like, whoa, now I'm watching. This must be TV. Because she made tennis enjoyable for the little girl who looked like her or that didn't look like her. Everybody was included. I think in her, like I forgot, I know her last name was Tom John, uh, Tom Janovich, I believe, who she played against uh, in her last match. And listening to her last comments, because, you know, she's going to be the last person to beat Serena in a, in a, in a major, right? And she says, Serena helped me. And she didn't even know it. Like Serena, and this is the part that I kind of alluded to a little bit earlier, but I, th- I, I took this from it because I'm sitting here and I'm just watching, taking this all in. Because you always remember like the last match or the last, you know, basketball game for Michael Jordan. or You just remember where you were because you won't get a chance to see it again. But I remember her opponent, Serena's opponent saying, I learned from Serena that I can't do this alone. That I got to bring my family with me. And my family is here with me right now because of what Serena showed me that I can do anything as long as I got my village behind me. So they're along here with me, but it's what Serena taught me. And sometimes you, you never know what you do that impacts others. And that's what I was talking about with Serena. She did things that impacted others who she may have just shook hands with once, said hello to once, but because she was the best at what she did and how she does it, People followed her. People wanted to be her. And they still want to be her. She's the greatest of all time. I mean, it's it's, it's nothing left to be said about what she's left, legacy that she's left. It's just only to a point where I still think she's got something left. I mean, she's got some Tom Brady in her left, man. She she can still go. She may not have been able to get yeah, now, past now we're talking about the quarters. Desire, right? Yeah. We're talking about what it takes to maintain. What it takes. She that, that, she said she I mean, she could still win a match. So we saw that. Yeah. We could oh, still yeah. she won some matches. Now, can she win a grand slam? I don't know. I mean, that's a tough one, but right. can she win a win a match? Yeah. She still got well, that. In but me. she's already defied enough, right? In a sport where we were entirely fine with people retiring before they were 30. Uh the 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 Williams sisters blew have blown that concept away. Women's tennis is cycled well, right? So even if we stay with 
uh, Miss Court into Billie Jean, that era, era, right into Chris Everett and Martina Navratilova. Steffi Graf takes over with Monica Seles. Forget how bad Monica was. Monica was, I mean, so good. That two-handed backhand. Um, right into the Williams sisters. And, and But there's no, it doesn't feel like there's an heir apparent, right? Because of how the heights of, of Serena. But there's someone who seems, particularly in American tennis, who seems like she can seamlessly kind of segue into that space. She just has to keep it accompanied with winning. Like that's the part, as we talk about Coco Golf, um, that's the challenging part. We love Coco, big Heat fan, by the way. Uh, and while she has the skill set, while she has the enthusiasm, personality, the talent, we're talking about generational greatness. Are we putting too much on her early? That's the question. Um, I know she's been in this game for a minute, but like right. just as Serena departs, we're saying, Coco, it's all you. Get to number one in the world. Get to winning, you know. 20 straight get to winning you know two of three if not three of four majors a year for the next half decade <laughs> like <laughs> what are we doing to this young lady right now well we're putting expectations on her because she is that good and that's what we always do we always want the next right it's always the next this is the next to this next this next that and i'm just enjoying it, just watching young coco go you know watching her rise i remember i believe I want to say it was Sloan Stevens for a little bit. Remember, mm -hmm. people would say, "Oh, here she goes, here we go, here we go." And I'm saying, let's just, just let's not rush it. Let these young girls just be, be themselves. Let them grow into who they are. Right? Uh, we we've talked about Naomi Osaka and what she's been. You know, we've had a, we've talked about her on this program for what she decided to do with her voice and uh, what she dealt with in terms of the mental health aspect of it. Because I think that that's what kind of got to her as well. She was like, I, I don't, you know, I just want to play tennis. Here I am having to answer questions to the media about why I'm not winning or what happened and that said. And she was like, I lost. Okay. I don't want to talk about it. What's wrong with that? And so I think with Coco Golf, it's different because, uh, you know, she has a name that we're going to remember. It's Coco. So everybody knows Coco. But if she mm -hmm. continues to win, you know, I, I think it, it's the story. You know, the parents watching her grow, watching her develop. I think that's what sports is really all about, Jax, is we find a story where we find an athlete and we're able to watch them start from a very young age and watch them as they get older. We grow with them. We watch them. I've always said that was the one thing about college basketball that was always great back in the day was that you can watch a, a kid come in at 18 years old as a freshman and he would stay for four years. But you would watch him as he matured each and every year. And by the time you got to the NBA, you watched him. And then he, you watched him in his first year, second year, third year, however long he played. But you felt like, man, I knew him because I watched him. You see that? That's how it used to be in baseball, too. You know, football, same way. And that, that's part of it has changed. But I think the, 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 the sport that still has that, to me, is tennis. The sport that has that is, is golf where you can start at a really, really young age and be really, really successful. But how do you maintain that success? Serena showed us how to maintain the success, but also to cancel out the noise on the outside, right? That, that's 
kind of the, the the gift and the curse of being so good at what you do. But can you cancel out the noise sometimes that can be so loud? And all you want to do is just play a sport. So I'm hoping that Coco Golf, with her um, people around her, you know, the, the family around her, can keep her away and shield it from, you know, some of the media parts of it that may not be as good to her, but allow her to still play the game. And that's what I think jumps off at the screen when I watch Coco, when I watch Serena. They're having fun. Like it's nothing, it's it's always great when you see somebody having fun in what they do. It's infectious. And that's one thing that I hope Coco continues in her quest to be one of the best tennis players in the world uh, in the women's game. We just have to realize it's not easy. 14 different winners mm -hmm. in the 21 majors since uh, Serena won her last back in 2017. And remember, Naomi Osaka had taken every, everyone by storm after beating um, Serena in the U.S. Yeah. Open in a, in a challenging environment. And uh, she hasn't made it past the third round in a major uh, since the Australian Open last year. So yeah. seven majors ago, uh, it's hard. It's hard. And obviously when you look at the number of 14 winners in the last 21 major tournaments for women's tennis, there's a lot of really good players, yeah. you know? Yeah. So the first thing for anyone in trying to grab this mantle, and maybe no one will, you got to win and you got to win a lot and you got to be dominant <laughs> majors and otherwise. Uh, but it's, it's not easy. Let's take a quick break. We come back. One more leg on the program, Orange Blossom Classic. Oh, South Florida was something. <laughs> it was something over the uh, holiday weekend. I was all up in it. Kirk has questions. I'll try to give answers of how it all <laughs> went down uh, in Miami Gardens, Florida, as Forward Progress continues. You're listening to Sirius XM Radio. Radio. We now return to Forward Progress. Here's Jason Jackson and Kirk Morrison. Thanks for hanging with us all the way through Forward Progress. As Kirk knows, I had the pleasure last week to be the MC of the coaches and uh, players' dinner, kicking off the Orange yeah. Bowl Classic. For those who don't know, uh, after about a 40-year hiatus, uh, the Orange Bowl Classic made its way back to South Florida. And it, it was really, for such a long time, starting back in the 30s, into the 70s, uh, a prominent HBCU postseason bowl. And so they decided to bring it back as a neutral uh, neutral site early season classic last year with Jackson State and FAMU. Uh, FAMU, by the way, was in that very first bowl, by the way, uh, in the Orange Blossom Classic back in 1933. Beat, uh, if I'm not mistaken, beat Howard nine to nothing uh, back mm -hmm. then. Uh, Jackson State has shined brightly. Uh, in, in this uh, in this opportunity, and uh, they were back in South Florida facing one another over the Labor Day holiday weekend. Uh, it 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 was it was it, it extravaganza occurred. So you had that dinner yeah. first on Thursday. Uh, uh, I forget what they had on Saturday. I think there was a luncheon at, at, yeah, at a, luncheon a resort up in Aventura, um, and I forgot they had some Grammy winning artists uh, at that event. Battle of the Bands on Saturday night uh, on the campus of the University of Miami after they dismantled Bethune-Cookman. Bethune-Cookman uh, has an axe to grind in all this, by the way. Okay. I mean, they didn't get into town 
until yeah. Friday night to play UM on Saturday afternoon. Uh, and you got uh, Florida AM and Jackson State. I mean, styling and profiling on the beach from Wednesday. Oh. From Wednesday. Now, Coach Prime said this guy's been on. How many sunglasses indoors did you see? Uh, let me just say, uh, there was a great deal. Great many. Coach Prime tried to make it seem like at the players and coaches' dinner that uh, Jackson State players did not necessarily have as much fun as the family players oh, wow. leading up to the game. Uh, but I, I like, but let me paint the room for you on this before you even get to the game. Battle of the Bands on 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 UM's campus uh, between Jackson Saturday. State yeah. or A&M on Saturday before the game, midday yeah. on Sunday. Uh, all at uh, Hard Rock, the game itself at, at Hard Rock, uh, Hard Rock Stadium, home of uh, the University of Miami and the Miami Dolphins. So this dinner, and I'm not trying to, you know, say what was right or what was wrong, but I will just paint the picture. Jackson State left their hotel in uh, Southern Broward County or Northern Dade County mm-hmm. uh, after uh, the scheduled departure of Florida a and but arrived at this beautiful Bayside uh, restaurant uh, just just north of, uh, I should say just to the west of, of of Key Biscayne, Florida. And uh, they arrived first in Jackson State. Uh, They arrived in, I believe, so team motto, uh, wrapped buses. Uh, They arrived, coaches in uh, red blazers with the JSU patch, players in navy blue blazers with the JSU patch, everybody in navy blue slacks, uh, the shoes, there was a variety of uh, self-expression uh, in that space, but a clean and crisp clean. arrival. Uh-huh. Uh, as I noted a little bit earlier, family left or scheduled to leave before from the same general vicinity of, of uh, Southern Broward or Northern Dade, whatever the line you decide to draw, but but arrived uh, less than on time and, <laughs> uh, and, and were only rocking team-issued sweats. So there was just a entirely different vibe. I'm not, I don't even know which one is more right or wrong this day and era of right. a more relaxed approach. Uh, but I'll just say this. The Jackson State arrival and look and vibe and feel uh, stood out from the jump. So no judgment per se. Yeah. But it does, well, that blazer vibe. That blazer looked good, out. though, don't it? Yeah. I seen that blazer. That blazer looked good. Oh man, it's old school. And you decide as an organization and a, and a university and a program how you want to move from one point to another. Um, and again, I don't know if I'm even down on. I, I love the uniformity, so I'm not going to. I'm not down on uh, the the Nike sweats brought to you by uh, LeBron, right, uh-huh. King James, right. But I, it, it, there's something extra with the blazer look during that dinner. I'll share this with you, and I'll get to all your questions. I know you have many. <laughs> Such a fabulous display of humanity all weekend. <laughs> At the dinner, I had the pleasure of having uh, Coach Simmons and Coach Sanders with a Q&A from the head coaches. Mute, a lot of beautiful respect between the two men. And Coach Prime is super aware of moments. And first of all, made sure everyone in the room connected to the Rattlers understood 
who they had in their head coach, like took the time to break it down and, and the fortune in which FAMU finds themselves by having Coach Simmons uh, lead their program. But then rose his players and staff to their feet to applaud the FAMU players who had, as we discussed last week, uh, the issue addressed the issue of not having proper certification for their football team leading into their first game uh, and annihilation <laughs> at the hands of North Carolina. It didn't help not having nearly 30 of their players that were not certified for play on time due to a series of gaffes uh, by the university community and the athletic program. But Coach Prime was so impressed by the letter that was pinned by the players and presented to the university president, uh, he had his staff and players stand to their feet and applaud those young men for so eloquently expressing uh, how they felt about that situation. I thought it was a wonderful recognition of Coach Prime. He's so consistent in, in communicating those types of things. Yeah, no, I think that was uh, that was big. That was huge because that was a storyline going in uh, to this classic, right, to the Orange Bowl classic, the HBCU showcase. And, you know, going in, we knew it was the Jackson State and Dion, you know, Coach Prime. But on the other side, it was FAMU and would they have eligible players? Hmm. So the letter that was sent by the players coming together, well, not only was heard, was saw, but it actually made change. I believe only, I think it was less than six or seven, I think, players were still be, had to hold out. But the other kids were able to play because they were able to fix some of the the disconnect that was between the NCAA and the uh, the counselors, uh, academic counselors, things that have that were the, the resources. Registrar's that, office, right? Right, registrar's office that that fam you didn't have. That was one of the things that you know they couldn't. They had to get fixed because it was a bad look. It was a bad look for FAMU last year when we talked about it. It was embarrassing. When you hear, I'm hearing, you know, guys can't play because of they're ineligible. I said, nah, I got the great grades. We just don't have the resources. And I applaud the kids just like Dion, Coach Prime did, because they went out and they did this the right way. And it got the change that they needed. It got the resources down there that they needed. And the kids were able to go out there and play. I did everything right. You guys didn't do things right. So I thought that was huge um, for this. But I, I think I take it a step further in than just the way that the classic played out. You mm. get to game day. Mm. Can we talk about and, it? Yeah. It, it, it was a Sunday. It was a standalone. Like, it was nothing else going on. And I'm saying in, in general in terms of it was a focus – of ESPN put the production together, the camera crews. It really highlighted big time football. That game felt big, right? It really felt big on a Sunday, Labor Day weekend. If you just jonesing for some football, you turn out, whoa, what's this? And it curved my appetite. And who's what's number up? two back yeah, here? Yeah, who's number two? Yeah. It. <laughs> Shador oh, Sanders. Shador. Yeah. Good Lord, man. Yeah. Five touches, so, 323 yards, 80, 88% completion yeah. percentage. What was his quarterback rating? 220. <laughs> what are we – What 220? What are yeah. we talking about? 
But that made it. That's just all the elements of it too, man. Because you got a great game from Deion Sanders' son, like you mentioned, Shador Sanders, and the game really wasn't too much of a challenge for Jackson State. They ended up taking care of business and beating up on FAMU. I forgot what the score was. You're being kind, 59 to 53. 53. Yeah, yeah. they didn't score a touchdown, FAMU. Marching 100 scored, I think. (laughs) But I was watching a press conference, though. And the press conference after the game, Dion, Coach Prime, is, is talking, or he's watching his son, Shador, talk. And Shador is still, you know, he's programmed. He's, man, I'm just out there just trying to get my teammates involved. I love this game so much, and this is a great opportunity, and this, this, and that. And, you know, I didn't know I threw five touchdowns, and it was my record. I was just focused on getting everybody the ball. And this was the aspect of it that I loved about it, Jax, was that Coach Prime had to take his Coach Prime hat off. I said, man, I'm a dad, too. Yeah, daddy. Because I'm a coach to all these players, but I keep forgetting that I'm also a dad to this one. And he says I get lost in that so much because I'm trying to I'm 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 trying to make sure this is right. I'm trying to keep this buttoned up. I'm trying to make sure our meals is on time, our bus is on time, that we look a certain way and do it. And it was cool to see him have that dad moment to sit back and look at his son and what he's accomplished. And says like, man, I did that. Like that's pretty cool. It, it's a it's a unique thing that Deion Sanders is doing in this space and, and Eddie George up in Tennessee and mm-hmm. others before them. And, and, and I hope others are now encouraged, like on this level, on this A-list of personality. But what it also shows is a lot of folks weren't listening when Deion started talking about wanting to coach. Yeah. A lot of folks. Yeah, that, they, that's they reading the cover and not getting into the book. <laughs> Right, yeah, yeah. Like I, I don't know if he has NFL aspirations. I, 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 I can't imagine it wouldn't be something he would want to do. Right. Um, this is probably a little bit more to his personality on the the college football level. Um, mm-hmm. and, and as many coaches have shown, if other opportunities present themselves in Power Five, uh, you can make just about the same money. Uh, but the the dictatorship is is something that. You know, it's more of a partnership on the pro level, on on the college level. Uh, I think Prime gets to be Prime a little bit more, but he seems to be able to adapt to whatever the moment needs, and that's yeah. the growth of of Deion Sanders. And I think so, uh, some prominent programs, including his alma mater, have missed the boat a couple times, and he might be in a spot now where he's like, "Listen, I'm going to build this into something yeah. from yeah. from from." The, the middle range of, of division one, uh, if not lower inside division one, just being candid up into some place that even without the massive resources uh, and he's even admitted, if he can get some big folks yeah. up front on both sides, then he can start to play in those games. I think it was during um, the, the SWAC uh, media day. He was like, listen, I'm not putting my student athletes out at like risk. Yeah. to be slaughtered. Mm-hmm. Um, not playing the Alabamas and the Clemsons and the Ohio States and Michigans and UCLA's and USC's <laughs> until I get big. So yeah. I get big. And, and I think that's the next layer he's looking for. But there's been a boat that's been missed, my man. What's that? That's what I'm saying. A boat that's been missed on him. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, I was coach. saying that. No, no, you mentioned it too. Um, but I think his awareness of what he's been preaching 
and what he's been talking about when it comes to HBC that they hey we do need help we do need resources we do need more and we need more attention from those big power five schools to come bring us out and so it just I'm glad that you brought up UCLA uh, UCLA they uh, their athletic director Martin Jarman for the first time ever can you believe it this week UCLA football is taking on an HBCU they'll be playing Alabama State. They'll be bringing the band out. So think about how cool that experience is right. for Alabama State and HBCU to play inside the glorious Rose Bowl, the granddaddy of them all, and to have the, their band to be able to come out and perform and put on a show. I mean, look, Dion is, is making an impact. Coach Prime is making an impact because I think a lot of people are seeing what the HBCU experience is all about in terms of the football is there, but it's more of the family. It's the pageantry. It's the tradition. It's it's the band. It's it's a little bit more than just your average football. It's a it's a day, right? When you go to an HBCU game, I've been to one before. It is not just show up, cheer for your team, and leave. No, no we, we gonna have a good time. We gonna get there. We gonna have a good tailgate. We're going we gonna to have some drinks. We're going to have some food. We're going to watch a little football. We're going to watch the – it's an event. It's not a game. And I'm glad that other two schools are taking uh, taking notice. But a lot of it is because of what Coach Prime has done of recent. And that's I think that's good for the HBCU. It's magnificent to watch. It's going to be awesome to continue to watch this grow. A great bounce off the uh, Orange Blossom Classic 59-3. to uh, coming up this weekend, it's uh, another road game <laughs> visiting Tennessee State uh, mm-hmm. and saying hi to Eddie George and his crew. So it, it is um, still growing and still evolving. Right. And we're excited to chronicle the entire thing uh, right here on Forward Progress. Uh, we look forward to, to having you with us next week. We're uh, looking forward to a great conversation with the CEO and and uh, of the Mavericks, who's, who's written a new memoir since uh has uh, marshall has been uh, kind enough to already let us know she's coming up on the program next week and uh, i don't think you want to miss that conversation about her growth uh, uh, from a young woman living in the projects in northern california uh to uh, the heights of sports management as the ceo of the dallas mavericks so i hope everybody joins us for that conversation been a pleasure going through our Mm-hmm. Many stops on this edition of Forward Progress. Kirk, thank you very much, my man. Man, you look, you're burying the lead. We almost had basketball season. You got your shirt, your tie on. Yeah, you already For, for those enjoying moment. the video edition, I am in the catacombs <laughs> of FTX Arena. The orange leather already bouncing. This week I'm off to uh, Connecticut and Massachusetts for the Hall go. of Fame inductions, specifically Tim Hardaway Sr. for my, my, my night employer, the Miami Heat. Uh, yes, basketball is already back. And camp doesn't start till the end of the month. Uh, I'll give you a full report when I get back. For our producer, Brunel Brown, my partner, Kirk Morrison, I'm Jason Jackson. We'll talk to you next time on Forward Progress. Forward Progress is part of the SiriusXM Sports Podcast Network. If you enjoyed this episode and want to hear more, please give us a five-star rating and leave a review. Subscribe today wherever you stream your podcasts.